So we have our gospel reading from John, uh, and then Jerry uh, reread the uh, story of Jesus' birth as told by Luke. Uh, now, there are four gospels for stories of Jesus' life. Mark uh, doesn't actually write about the birth of Jesus, so we'll just set him aside for a minute. Uh, Luke and Matthew are the most similar. They have kind of different, um, different emphases. They talk about a few different things. Uh, Matthew has got kind of his own agenda, and so does Luke. But they essentially say about Jesus' birth, all right, this is just kind of how it happened. Luke likes to point out Caesar Augustus and the shepherds. Matthew just says the birth of Jesus came about in this way. And then John shows up. And he does have a story of Jesus' birth. He starts it with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And essentially, everything that was made was made through this Word. Uh, it's a little different. <laughs> uh, if uh, Matthew and Luke are like, um, I don't know, Renaissance painters or something like that, John would be Picasso or Jackson Pollock, where you, go, where you look at it and you go, huh, that's different. I don't get it. And that's normal. Uh, John is, of course, doing things in a very stylized way, and he has some very, very profound and special objectives. But the fact that he starts it with, in the beginning, would or should clue us into where he's going with this. There's another book in the Bible that starts with, in the beginning, and that would be Genesis. In fact, the, the first narrative of creation begins like this, and that is the narrative of God creating uh, the universe or the world in six days and resting on the seventh day, which means that we should probably take a step back and think really, really hard about what's going on there, because it probably has something to say about Jesus coming into the world. Now, first off, uh, one of the points that John is making by saying, essentially, hey, everything that was made was made by this word who was God. Spoiler alert, the word is Jesus. And if you go back to Genesis 1, you'd notice that God creates by his word voice. He says, let there be light. Let there be an expanse or a dome in the sky. Let the waters separate. What John is telling us is that in some really, really abstract or maybe hard to understand way, Jesus is the word spoken to create the universe. Jesus is the embodiment of this creating power. But I think we can say more. Now, anytime you talk about like Genesis and the, the stories of creation, you just invite controversy because you invite maybe some modern questions about origins. And I am going to ignore all of that 
because we miss things when we dwell there. If you were to go back in time uh, to the world of ancient Israel, and you were to tell them a story or give them an, an account of constructing anything, really, over a period of seven anything, seven days, seven months, seven years, and on that final unit, months, days, years, doesn't matter, our divine rest occurs, because that's how the story goes, that Jesus, God, I think there's a Trinitarian heresy somewhere in there, but um, we'll just strike that from the record. Uh, God creates on six days, on the seventh day, God rests, and if you were really constructing seven anything, a person in the ancient Near East, or the world of the Bible, with that worldview, the worldview of ancient Israel, would immediately know, oh, what you've just constructed is a temple. It's very eerie how consistent that is throughout the world of the Bible. And by that I mean if you go to Babylonian, Egyptian, Canaanite, Moabite, all, uh, look at things like the Gudea cylinders and the Enuma Elish and all of that, like this pattern is really eerily consistent. Which means that what God has created, again, I am just ignoring all the other questions that may be popping up, but God has created and established on that seventh day the world as his sacred space, his temple, the place where God's presence dwells. Even crazier is that everybody would have kind of known way back when in our hypothetical time machine that before divine rest can occur, first, either the divine or, or the priests or whatever, some kind of, some actor in, this, in that play, would first have to place a representation or a representative of that God. Well, what happens on the sixth day before God rests? God says, let us make man in our own image. And in our own image, he created him. Uh, Image in Hebrew, tselem, is a very rich word, but it will mean statue, icon, representative. I think by extension, it can mean even like ambassador representative. In other words, it's, you know, (laughs) y'all and me. Um, God establishes sacred space. John seems to be very aware of this because at the end of that first section in John, and it was at the end of our reading, John 1.14, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, uh, English tends to flatten this uh, because, I mean, there, there, there isn't a good word for that word dwell in Greek. It says, and the word became flesh, that part's pretty clear. And then, kaiaskenosin and himin in Greek, which obviously means, it was a joke, um, 
that, that, that word iskenosin um, is associated with the tabernacle, with God's presence dwelling. John knows what he's doing. So not only is Jesus the word that, is create, that, is, that God speaks to create the universe, but connecting with that first narrative of creation, this word becomes that tabernacling, that templing presence of God inserted into creation. Now, in the next chapter in John, John chapter 2, Jesus, because uh, John wants to, to focus in on that, so he puts it at the beginning of his story uh, of Jesus, uh, that Jesus pronounces judgment, essentially, on the temple in Jerusalem, which is supposed to house the presence of God, but by that point has become thoroughly corrupt, And people who are, shall we say, not thrilled with Jesus' action, this is like the money changers and all of that, uh, when he's flipping those, those tables over, they say, where do you get your authority to do this? In other words, they say, okay, we get that you are pronouncing judgment on the place of God's presence, the temple. What gives you the right to do this? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And of course, they mock him. They're like, dude, this took forever to build. You're going to build this in three days? That's ridiculous. And then John has one of my favorite lines in all the Bible because it's ridiculous. John says, it wasn't until after Jesus was raised from the dead that we realized he was talking about himself. And I love that moment because to me that means that at some point, long after Jesus was raised from the dead, John and maybe the the other apostles are sitting around a fire and one of them goes, oh, write this down, give me some parchment. He meant him, which also means... Jesus is very clearly saying, which is rare for Jesus to clearly say much of anything, he says, I am the temple. I am the presence of God. Entered into the creation that was spoken into existence by me. As we mentioned last night at Christmas Eve, this is the author writing himself into the story. Now, as John puts it, this is the creator creating himself into the creation. That the world was created to be the place where God dwells among his people. That's that's actually the whole point of the entire Bible is God's presence dwelling and then God's presence absent because obviously there's a problem. When God's representatives, his image bearers, the statues that are supposed to represent God's presence, when we start making our own decisions apart from the wisdom of God, we no longer represent the God who created us. 
I think we can see plenty of examples of how this works, both in our own lives and in the world around us. To the point, or to the extent that uh, my phone kind of like lit up for a second because the Associated Press, I don't know why they're pushing any kind of notifications on Christmas Day, but something happened in the news and I saw that and I'm like, uh, like right before the service started, it's like, I don't want to know because it's Christmas and I need to preach and I don't want to be depressed or irritated when I get up here. But even more so than just like, global scale. I, I mean, I can see within my own life when I am not acting as the presence of God I'm supposed to represent. I'm guessing you are not either. And so when God's presence departs, there's a lingering question throughout the entire biblical narrative of where is God, how is God going to return? And it gets little answers, like the tabernacle, this moving temple that goes with God's chosen people, Israel, and then eventually the temple in Jerusalem, which is God's established presence. But there's always this kind of tension, this awkwardness of, yeah, okay, God's there, but things are not as they should be. And that question lingers until the inspired and genius words of John, who points it out for us. The word that was spoken to create the universe took on flesh and became the tabernacling presence of God dwelled with us. If the entirety of human history and, its, and our religious histories is about trying to reach up to God to ascend some sort of divine ladder, to build a tower, to go up and be among the gods, spoiler alert, that never works out well, by the way, uh, or maybe in a more modern sense, to be good enough to be holy enough, to be righteous enough, to be worthy enough for the presence of God. The good news of Christmas is that in doing so, we have lost the plot. The point is not that we ascend to God, but actually that God comes to us. The Word becomes flesh the divine presence enters into human history. And in that first moment, it is a baby attached to his mom by an umbilical cord, screaming his lungs out, eventually laid into a manger. Some shepherds show up, which I'm sure is not what Mary was thrilled with. Apparently, some kid shows up playing a drum. Um, and thus the first murder witten by, uh, witnessed by Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, but this word become flesh, God's tabernacling presence born in the usual terrifying way, grows up in the usual way, just like you and me, 
and then both announces the kingdom of God, which is God's presence, God's rule and reign as divine king, pays for it with his life only. It's not just a death of one man, but it is a death of the supposed image bearers of God. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, so are we. And God's image bearers are given a new heart, a new reality. We become part of new creation. And so we wait for his return. Merry Christmas.